Welcome to the Energy Nerd Show, powered by Synapse Energy Economics and Climbable.org. Energy Nerd Show. Hey, Bruce. Hi, Jeannie. Who's our guest today? Our guest is Rachel Wilson. Hi, awesome. Rachel. Hey, Rachel. Hi. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the Energy Nerd Show. You did some interesting work in Australia a little while back. I'd love to hear about it. I did. It was one of the few international cases that Synapse has worked on in the recent past. And we were approached by the Environmental Defender's Office, who is based in Brisbane and Queensland in Australia. And they were looking to stop the permitting of the proposed Waratah coal mine which would have put an additional 40 million tons of coal out into the world. It was designed for some domestic use in Australia, but most of it would have been exported to the seaborne market. So countries in Southeast Asia would be burning it in um, existing and new coal plants. Wow. So I saw the order had 1.6 gigatons of CO2. I guess that's maybe over the lifetime. That's a lot of CO2. That's over the lifetime of the mine, which would have gone through at least the end of 2040 and maybe even through 2050 when the world's trying to get to net zero. Wow. So you were working for the government? For the Environmental Defenders Office. So they're an Australian nonprofit organization. They work on behalf of a number of different clients, but one of those clients is a group of First Nation peoples. And so this case was attempting to argue for the human rights implications of mining this coal and exporting it on Australia's native peoples. So let's start with what the company, the, the mining company and their consultants, I mean, what was, what was their argument other than uh, we want to expand the mine and um, dig up a lot of coal? The argument of the mining company was that the demand for thermal coal was going to continue into the future, not at the same rate as in the past, but that it would still be substantial and demand would decline a bit but that the quality of the coal being pulled out of the ground at this particular mine would displace some of the lower quality coal that's in the market currently. And so it would come in at a, a better position in the supply stack. And so there would continue to be demand for this particular coal over the entire life of the mine. So were they arguing that there would be net environmental benefits or benefits to climate from extracting all of this coal? Or was it just if we don't do it, someone else will or something else? The latter. The coal company was arguing that, well, first of all, this was not a, a scenario that modeled a commitment to 1.5 degrees Celsius, an increase in temperature of 1.5 degrees Celsius. They did model such a scenario, but that was not the one that was presented as the primary scenario in this particular docket. So their modeling wasn't consistent with the Paris Agreement and the world's climate goals. And then secondly, there was this element of substitution that the company was trying to argue that coal is going to persist in the market. And so Australia should get the benefit of mining and selling this coal as opposed to another country who would then take over that position. And the benefit in this case means like destroying land and some... Uh... I would say the the benefit that they were arguing for was an economic one to... The, the country of Australia and the other things, they would attempt to mitigate, but that typically doesn't go well. And then what was your and uh, your client's arguments? Our client's arguments focused quite a bit around modeling and scenario modeling and the fact that 
in these types of electric system models that are attempting to forecast demand for coal or any other fossil fuel, the input assumptions that you use in that analysis matter a lot. And then the form that those input assumptions take in terms of which actual numerical variable you use is largely driving your results. So what you might not see in a scenario that assumes that demand for a thermal coal will grow or persist over time is the assumption that the world is going to be using a lot of carbon capture and sequestration technologies. And that comes with a, an assumed capital cost. We don't have very many operational CCS projects at the moment, and you know even fewer at power plants that burn coal. So that assumption that CCS is going to come in in massive amounts in the future is one that directly affects the output variables of a particular scenario. If you were to assume, say, that solar and wind have a greater penetration and that energy storage becomes globally available in large quantities, that's going to change the forecast for thermal coal. So do you know what the coal company was assuming because you had access to all their analysis? We had access to only one analysis, which was this report that they hired a consultant to produce. However, one of the things that came out in the hearing was that this particular consulting firm had updated that coal forecast immediately prior to the hearing, after the submission of the expert report, but prior to the hearing taking place. And that updated scenario did show a decline in thermal coal demand in the future. And so you can see how these scenarios evolve over time as input assumptions are being updated, market dynamics are changing, and all of the variables can be different from even one year to another. Is it true that consultants can get the model to say anything that their clients want them to? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> I will try to answer Bruce's question. And I will say that as someone who does electric system modeling and has done it for some time, over time, you develop what I would call a modeler's intuition. And you can tell generally how output results are going to be affected by changes in input values and what some of the most important drivers are. And so I think that's true for any consulting firm that is doing this kind of work. And the results that you get tend to be reflective of some of the opinions that you might hold. Yeah. And then the model sort of a way of explaining how your input assumptions and, you know, kind of your view of the world might translate into the result, right? And so, but I feel like there's a, there's a healthy exercise in being explicit about that. And so, you know, if you're wildly bullish about CCS, then, you know, maybe, oh, there's going to be a lot of demand for coal and then this project fits in in a certain way. And if one's less bullish on CCS, then the results come out there. So it can help to frame the diff why there are differences of opinion in, in quantitative ways. That's right. And I would advocate for transparency in those input assumptions and that any consulting firm that is doing this kind of work is very clear about what they've assumed in terms of inputs. So did you actually go on the stand with your report, with your testimony? I did. And in Australia, things are done a little bit differently because both witnesses for either side appear sitting side by side and they answer questions jointly together. So I did this over the course of two days with the witness for the coal company. 
Yeah, you actually write a joint report. We do, which is also something that's different from the way things have worked in my previous experience. So we uh, participated in several video calls together, past draft reports back and forth over email. And we had to establish up front right at the beginning the points on which we agreed and then the points on which we disagreed. Yeah, cool. It seems like a sort of a, a really interesting and maybe in some cases healthy process. I mean, it gets the, the different perspectives um, working together on one document. In my experience, my one experience, it was a, a collegial exercise and dare I say fun at times. Is that because you won? <laughs> <laughs> I think hindsight always having the experience of the victory does make things a little more pleasant to reflect on. And if we had lost, I might feel a little bit differently. So, yeah, I mean, I read the commission's, I think it was 300 and something page order. They mentioned your name 62 times. And I think every time they were agreeing with you and pointing out that the company witness was wrong and you were right. It was a pretty clean sweep of the table there, Rachel. (laughs) It's always a good feeling to have and one I've not always had in the work that I've done over my career. So what was it like being on the stand in that arrangement? Luckily, I've had some experience on the witness stand, so it was, you know, not dissimilar. You are educating the judge on the matters on which you've been called to testify. So all of my answers I tried to direct to her as much as possible. There were questions on which the opposing expert was asked for his opinion and my opinion differed. And so I was able to interject at that point and present a contrasting opinion. One of the more challenging things that didn't occur on the stand, but that influences the flow of the hearing is that once you take the stand as a witness, you're not allowed to speak with your attorneys and you shouldn't speak with the other side's attorneys either. And so you don't necessarily have a sense of how things are going, which is a challenge that is, I think, unique to that particular situation. Interesting. So this judge is the judge for their commission, like a public utilities commission or someone else? This was in the Queensland land court. And then following this decision, the decision was a recommendation to the Minister of the Environment, who then had to agree with the decision and deny the permit, or they could have disagreed and allowed the mine to go forward. And has that decision been made yet? Yes. And the minister did agree, so the mine will not be proceeding. Cool. Thanks for being on this show, Rachel. And and, um, and thanks for all this uh, awesome work on this, on this case and all the others that you've done over the years. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to work on each and every one. I will say, in terms of what comes next, I hope that there is less work to do on the one hand as these cases become fewer and fewer, that coal mining companies will realize that this is not going to be fruitful to pursue for very much longer in the future. And until that day comes, I hope that we can continue to just provide good expert witnesses, whether that's me or someone else, to keep doing this really important work. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of uh, renewable, there's a lot of wind and solar and uh, storage to get sited and built as well, especially, especially long-term storage, long-duration storage, right? Let's bring on all those renewables and storage. Nice. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. Check out the show notes for visuals and links for more info on the topics discussed. You can find the Energy Nerd Show on social media pretty much everywhere at Energy Nerd Show or on our website at energynerdshow.com. Thanks for listening.